Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Pleasure, as always, to have on the studio Nick Stewart, who's the CEO of the Stewart Group from right here in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Great, thank you. Great. Last show of the year, Ken. Can you believe it? Where did 2022 go? Just disappeared. It was like, click your fingers and it was gone. Yeah, I know. And as you get older, let me tell you, it goes much quicker. <laughs> You've got a long time to catch up on me, Nick, but uh, just preparing you for that. Now, before we get into today's topics, which are many and varied, just remind our listeners, Nick Stewart Group, you've been here for 35 years. Yes, indeed. Yeah, 35 years. Yeah, based um, based here in Hastings, where we were founded. We've also got an office in Wellington. But yeah, we've um, you know provide um, you know financial advice you know across mm-hmm. um, KiwiSaver. UK pensions, investment advice, just general financial planning and risk management. It's yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. There's never there's never the same day. No. There's always some some new challenge. There's always um, some new weather pattern coming through. Yes, and I think um, when people hear the word financial advisors, and you've got your big black basalt building, it sort of looks pretty flash. That I think a lot of people might think, wow. That's for people who, uh, you know, have got money. But from my own personal experience, and I have very little money, I must say the advice that I received from you, in particular, Nick, when we first started talking yes. about uh, KiwiSaver, it was invaluable advice. Yeah, well, no, that's an absolute pleasure, and thank you for the um, thank you for the feedback. But I mean, for us, we're a family business. We yes. like we like helping people, and you got to remember that anyone, for the most part, anyone who has money started with a small amount mm. and grew it into a more sizable amount. Uh, there are some of those that inherit money, so they, there's a, a, a transfer of wealth to them. Well, they then have the responsibility of nurturing and managing that capital, and that's where we come in and assist them because people aren't born with financial knowledge. No, of course not. Financial knowledge is uh, acquired or purchased, so those that acquire it do it through learning. You know, a few skin knees and a blood nose and, you know, actually yep. getting involved, and that can be painful for some. Uh, there are others that buy the expertise, and they employ people like us. Yes, indeed. And I suppose uh, worrying about financial advice is a bit like worrying about uh, life insurance. You you might do it once and you put it in the bottom door, and then you tend to forget about it. But that's not a good idea, is it? Uh, no, it's not, because people's circumstances change. So if you think about it at the moment, if you had... Mm, let's say three years ago you had had, um, you know, let, let's use something really simple like your home and contents cover. And you've seen inflation's been really, really charging mm. along now for about 18 months. So if you had just put in the bottom drawer your home and contents policy, well, dare I say it, if something happened to your home or your contents, flood, theft, fire, you're going to find you're going to be chronically underinsured. Mm. So there is a need for people to revisit periodically are their level of cover. Um, now, it may mean that there are no changes, 
but it's always good to reflect and check back in. Yeah, and I think when we look back on the uh, the last, well, let's look back at the last twelve months in particular, mm. but uh, over the last three years, I think most people think it's a it's a period of lows rather than highs. Tell us about some of the lows, Nick. Well, the lows, of course, you've got it where, well, I'm going to start with the high, and the high was that financial markets were at the high on the, pretty much the 6th of January this year. Mm. And there on in, all the way through to September, it was just um, red ink negative numbers. Um, so, of course, that was, so the market had actually started falling on about the 7th of January because it, it had a really good run. So it then started to pull back, but then you had those um, Russian tanks roll over the border of Ukraine, mm-hmm. And that saw the markets really come back. You then saw central bankers globally increasing interest rates, which flow through to mortgage rates. Um, you know, people carry a fair bit of debt. Certainly in this nation, we do. Um, and so, what happened is that you know markets continue to fall. Business and consumer sentiment has been negative, but that pretty much was arrested in terms of markets. In the month of October. Mm. So if you think about all the negative press that you've read and heard and the hearsay. um, So if we think about it, the month of October was the single largest positive month for the Dow Jones Index. Now, the Dow Jones is the Dow Jones Industrial Index, you know, pretty much represents a whole lot of um, really large U.S. listed companies. It's one of the bellwethers. Mm. It had its single largest month in October since 1976, wow. so best month ever. 1976 is when I was born, so mm. that's 46 years ago. Mm. Um, so that's pretty amazing. Now, the sad part is, and we spoke about this just before the show, and that's, uh, in fact, if you look at all the kind of quarterly stats for KiwiSaver, people were taking money, those that could take money out, mm. e.g. you were at the age of retirement, yeah. 65, they were pulling money out of the markets, out of KiwiSaver, and putting it into the bank. We also, yeah, there was evidence that a lot of people were switching from different funds, going from growth funds to defensive conservative funds around the same time. So pretty sad. So quite a number of people have missed that phenomenal bump that started yeah. at the start of October. Really so, unfortunate. So that increased uh, since 1976. What do you put that down to? Because I think most people sitting listening to this program saying, what? Never heard of that. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, look, People eventually capitulate, mm. and they just go, you know, I just can't handle it anymore. And um, and so what happened is in that period around September, some people said, look, I think it's actually going to get worse. It's going to be really, really bad, so I'm better to pull my funds now um, because it could get really bad, yeah. you know, hell in the handbasket. Well, the fact is that um, that hasn't happened, and in fact, um, you know, there were actually some green shoots and some positivity out there. And the other fact was that uh, a couple of the uh, cent- oh, some of the larger central banks and se- their central bankers announced that hey you know there's light at the end of the tunnel yeah. of their fiscal tightening, e.g. interest rates aren't going to go up quite as much as was forecast. Mm. Now that happened in Australia, um, the United Kingdom, and more importantly the United States. And of course, uh, a lot of people get rich in times of adversity, don't they? Absolutely. Look. Um, our independent investment committee member, uh, Dr. Alistair Marsden, has been saying to us for months, he said, always remember that the forward-looking expected returns after the market has dropped, the forward-looking expected return or the return that one gets from that point of time going forward is much higher 
but you have to remain in your seat. So if you look at um, if we look at major events um, over my lifetime, um, so we think um, the 1987 stock market crash, um, 9/11, 2001, and then the global financial crisis 2008. <clears throat> if an investor had remained in their seat, they would have had some amazing returns in the first year. So if you'd been invested in a global markets. After the 1987 crash, you had a 32.5% return the year later, mm. if you'd just remained yeah. in your seat. Um, the same thing happened uh, after 9-11. Um, the global financial crisis was a little bit more subdued, but over the following two years, it was massive, um, to the tune that over the three-year period on all those three events, 87 crash, 9-11, and the global financial crisis, the uh, annualised return for the three years after each negative event was 15% per mm. annum for three years. Wow. But you had to remain in your seat. Yeah. And I suppose the main problem is mum and dad investors who aren't as schooled mm. up as what you are, they're probably thinking, geez, uh, it's Armageddon. Let's get our money out and let's do something with it. Is that, is that the main problem? Yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of people um, either don't have... Uh, wise counsel, mm-hmm. um, or the other thing that they believe that this time it is different. Yeah, and you know I can give you, I can give you historical newspaper articles. This time is different, and you can yeah. find them going back to the thirties. Yes, yeah. Now the inflationary um, issues that you mentioned mm. uh, with regard to the war in Europe at the moment. How real is that? I mean, is that really affecting the economies across the world as has been made out, or is that just an incidental part of it? You mean so? Is is the war in Europe part of it, or just are you talking is about that causing it? Is that is that perpetuating oh. it? Oh, it would be perpetuating a little bit, but look, it was already it was already baked in. We've got um, you know, inflation was rolling along well before um, those tanks rolled across the border mm. uh, into Ukraine. So look. You know, uh, central banks during the um, COVID, the COVID pandemic, we printed a whole lot of money. We flooded the market with liquidity, and when you, it's just you know basic one hundred and one economics. Mm. You know, you've got um, a limited number of goods and services that are produced. If you've got too much money chasing too few goods, the price of those goods will increase, mm. and that is what we have had happen. Um, and there seems to be a lag with these things. So that is where when inflation gets ahead of steam up, in other words, you know, just there's rolling price hikes um, throughout a country, throughout an economy, it takes quite a bit of effort to actually stop that pattern and yeah. that behaviour. So in New Zealand at the moment, we have got, we've had the steepest rate rise. Or mm. If you look at the recent period of time and you look at the actual percentage rate rise we've had, it's been the largest off the base. So in other words, the percentage increase has been the largest in the history of this nation. And we still haven't stopped it yet. No. It's coming. Yeah. But it's it's just a lag. And I like to use that analogy. Like if you're going to turn around like an oil tanker, when you spin the wheel, it takes quite a long time for the ship mm. to behave. Yeah. Um, and inflation is a little bit like that, which is why typically central bankers are always really, really jittery, and they're always, you know, often like I, I, I'm, you know, you can if you look back at the curve historically, you'll see them increasing interest rates and then pulling them back shortly thereafter, and mm. that's because 
they were always trying to get ahead of the curve. Whereas on this one, we are so behind the curve that we've had to really, really go through this period of tightening. And unfortunately for many folk, um, the next three, six, nine months are going to be very painful because a huge portion of our residential debt comes off fixed rates and goes to floating rates. And a lot of these rates are going to, if not double, they will triple. Yeah. I was talking to one of your colleagues a couple of weeks back, and we uh, we used the scenario of someone who might have brought a million dollars, which is probably isn't out of the way now when you're buying yes, a house. correct. And uh, saying that the, the repayments were going to be, say, $900 a week, but now once they're refinancing or remortgaging, they're costing $1,800 a week. Yeah. just uh, I know, I know. It's, overnight. The, the figures are, are incredibly sobering. And, and the question people say to me is, so when will this stop? Well, the thing is, I say to them, well, look, we came out of a global pandemic that we'd not seen before. Well, the last time it was seen was uh, the Spanish flu after World War One. So not many of our forebears are still mm. alive who could tell us about that mm. experience or could remember it. Um, so if we think about it, we say, well, so what we had during the pandemic was not normal. No. So to utilize interest rates of 2 and 3% as your reference point would be would be wrong because that was not the average. Mm. Um, so that's why I say to people, look, you know, we had, we were moving back to a more normal curve anyway, but now that we've got inflation, it's really, really playing on people's minds. So a lot of people will have to get used to fours and fives in the future, yeah, not twos and threes. Right. Now, the question that people are saying to me is, well, when will we get back to that, Nick? And I say to them, well, look, if you look at the Reserve Bank figures, and the Reserve Bank publishes a lot of data, um, but it's showing that we won't get back to that kind of normal, those normal interest rates. In other words, where where you could, you know, factor in that this is going to be what's going to be here for a more the more long run mm. number. Well, they're not factoring that to happen until twenty twenty four. No, uh, and I'm not talking like January. No, I'm talking like mid and late. Um, there's been a bit of talk on the, on the street, not that mm, I'm close mm. to where you are, but uh, that when the reserve comes back, reserve bank comes back February March, that uh, could be uh, an, another basis point increase of 25, maybe 75 yes, points. Correct. Where, where do you where do you see it? Well, it depends on what happens now. So, now the reason why I'm not giving you a straight answer here is that you think about the reserve bank. We normally hear from the reserve bank every couple of months, yep. but this one. They have. This is the longest period where we don't hear from them. So imagine they've gone out and shocked the markets of late, and they've said, you know, and we really, really increase the um, rate, the rates of interest or the mm. cost of funds. When we're not going to hear from them till March, there's a lot of data that they're going to be processing between now and then. Yeah. So they've got a little bit of time to see what happens. Um, one hopes for the market. Um, when I'm in the market for um, those that are, are having to pay these high rates of interest on very, very high borrowed amounts of capital, uh, that it's a smaller amount in March and we start to see that inflation actually comes down in the next couple of months. Unfortunately, should that not be the case, then the Reserve Bank will be left with no other option but to go hard again in March. When I was young, which is a long time ago, we had a, a mortgage which was between 20 and 23%. Yes. Could those days come back? Uh, no, I can't see that happening because the 
the amount of indebtedness that you and your cohort had back in that period of the 80s was the amount of debt you had was very, very little compared to today. Mm. Um, so the amount of indebtedness that we have versus every dollar of earnings um, is extremely high, the amount of debt we have. So in other words, the the factor... How would I explain it? So the Reserve Bank doesn't need to move the needle like it had to do back mm. then because of the fact that like a, like the flow-on effect that we're seeing at the moment, you know, people will capitulate a lot earlier now than they did in the 1980s just because of the debt load is so much higher. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about like when you talk to people about the amount of indebtedness that they had versus the amount of their salary, the ratios were also smaller. Yeah. Um, so not only is the quantum of capital that we have outstanding in terms of mortgage obligations is much higher, but as a percentage of income, it's much, much higher. Uh, so therefore, the you know material impact of changes to of interest rates flows through to us much quicker now. Mm. Um, and, and sorry, and this is the last thing is that over the last two years, the amount of capital or the amount of borrowed money that is on five, four, and three-year fixed rates is actually very, very small. Mm. Over the last couple of years, most people have gone really, really short. They've been borrowing between one and two years, and all of that is now starting to come off those fixed rates and go on to variable or floating. So therefore, look, all the ingredients are there for it to stop, Yeah, you know, for inflation to come down and for economic activity to come down quite quickly. Why does Reserve Bank step in and do what it's done? Why doesn't it just let the market find its own level? <laughs> um, because what happens if you allow it, like the inflation rate will snowball and you end up with a country like Zimbabwe historically. Mm. Zimbabwe is still rolling along like a train wreck. Mm. But they've been doing that for quite a long period of time. Mm. Whereas a country that's tried to do what you've just said is Turkey. Mm. And Turkey has decided that they're just going to keep pumping Sorry, when I mean pumping, like keep flooding the market with liquidity. Yep. Yep. They don't really care. And, of course, people over there, like businesses are going broke. Mm. There are some that are doing extremely well. But on the flip side, there's just no balance. No. And you're having, you know, you're having rampant inflation and also, uh, you know, a lot of um, that kind of barter economy where yeah. people are trying to bypass the normal means of exchange. Some of what you've talked about so far has almost sounded quite rosy, uh, but what, what, just, what would you say to someone who is now worried about what's going to happen with their mortgage repayments, um, and, and in particular with what the Reserve Bank might do in February, March? What, what hope could you give them? Well, they need to engage with their lender for yep. a start, because you know, you, you know, without engagement, you've got no tools, mm. no mechanism of any flexibility. Flexibility in the sense that the, the borrower may be able to um, go um, you know, interest only for a period of time so mm. that rather than repaying the debt, they're, they're actually just being able to maintain the interest payments, and that may that may happen. They may rene- renegotiate their terms, so if they've got, say, five years left to repay on the mortgage, they, um, they redocument the loan and take it from five to ten, which means they can still meet their principal payments, but the principal payments are much less. There are many things that one can do just so that you don't have to capitulate and are forced to sell the asset on the market mm. um, because with that comes uh, other downstream negative 
ramifications, things like, you know, uh, mental well-being, yes. family harmony, etc., aside from the fact that you may be forced to liquidate an asset in the market and be a forced seller, like a mortgagee sale, yes. um, where you're not in control of the process and you just have to accept the price that is offered. We've been making this program for quite some years now, uh, and I recall <laughs> over the years we've been sort of saying that that housing bubble is going to burst. Has it burst? Oh, certainly it has. So if you think about like if you were in Wellington and you were looking at the value of your home, say, the long weekend of Labor Weekend, um, not this year, but last year, you know, if you're in Wellington, you know, you've you've seen your property decline 20% mm. already. And you've got people like uh, ASB saying that, um, you know, that it's got another 5 to 10 to go. In fact, ASB were only saying last week that, that from peak to trough, they're picking that if you include inflation in the number, mm. that it's a 40% wow. decline. Um, so that's, that's quite material. Um, we're, we're seeing numbers where they're saying, you know, this will be, we're heading for the potential largest slump or flat or slump or flat period, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm. Depending if you're a glass half full or yes. glass half empty kind of human being. Um, but they're saying, you know, we're talking like that kind of late 1970s through uh, early 1980s period where we just, like it was negative or flat depending mm. on when you entered and exited. Just about out of time. I've got five minutes and uh, you've got an yeah. interesting topic that you mentioned. Shirt in, sleeves to shirt sleeves. Tell us about that. Indeed. Hey, well, it's a little article we've actually got going in the um, Hawke's Bay today, this weekend. This will be our kind of last, my last full piece for the new year. Um, sorry, for this year. And then I've just written a piece for the new year. But this one, I was fortunate that I've met a gentleman, um, uh, Dr. James Grubman. And um, James is an inter intergenerational um, succession specialist in the United States, and he actually presented um, at a, a webinar that we hosted recently. It was a fantastic discussion. And basically it's debunking a lot of the myths. So a lot of that kind of, you know, first generation builds it, second consolidates it, third generation blows it. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, um, um, clogs to clogs. Every country has this discussion. And a lot of people, it's like a curse. You know, if you're the third generation, yeah. this thing's hanging over you. It's like the Grim yes. Reaper's tapping you on the shoulder with his um, scythe. But the fact is, if you actually, if you go back and find out where the, where it comes from, it was a quite a famous study in 1987 by Ward and Associates. And it's interesting, every single book that's written on this always goes back to that same reference point of the Ward study, 1987. So it was interesting, what James was telling us, uh, Dr. James Grubman, he was saying, if you look at, if you should go back and burrow into that study, it looked at, it looked, the definition of a successful succession plan or mm. transfer was that the same family was running the same business. Yes. For three generations. Okay? But the fact is, what happens if you change the nature of the business operation? Mm. Well, that was deemed that that was that was a failure. So in other words, imagine, Ken, you're the third generation, you sell the family farm, and you go into making ice creams and the distribution of um, ice cream and dairy products, and you're successful on that. Well, that would be deemed unsuccessful because really? the business is no longer running. Yeah. You've sold, and you're doing something else. The other one is what happens if oh, – and, and also this study, if the same family group wasn't involved – it was deemed to be a failure. So imagine you had two siblings and yourself, and you bought the others out 
because a they mm. moved town, they were um, just they didn't have the aptitude or the enjoyment to stay in the business and do what you were doing. That was deemed a failure. So, in other words, the cohort of people that would make it through three generations where the same family was running mm. the same business, all in harmony, no black sheep in the family, no one had left town, that's incredibly narrow. That was the study that all of these books and papers are written on. Mm. Um, so, therefore, if you actually go and you look at it and you say, what happens if you were taking that there's one descendant of the fourth generation person that set it up and they're still running the enterprise or the capital base that came mm. from that enterprise, now you've totally debunked shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. Yeah, I reckon. And uh, when do you become an institution in business? Is it after 35 years? Because you guys have been doing the same job very, very well for 35 years. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there, would you? Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah, well, or, or you'd have to start with a, uh, you know, what, what's that thing that they say, that kind of joke in the winemaking business that you used, you, you know, you know, how do you end up with a small vineyard? Start with a large one. These uh, are those standard yeah. jokes. It's one of those. Yeah, look, if you're not good at doing something after multiple generations, then um, then the enterprise will not be an enterprise. It'll be a very very small one. Um, but for someone like ourselves or our business, we we really enjoy what we're doing. It's um, we get to help a lot of people, get to deal with a lot of people, lots of different colourful characters, lots of different different circumstances. You know, we're not just making widgets. No, you're not. You know, there is no day is the same. We're dealing with all these different challenges, and it's fun. It really does keep you on your toes, and we've got an amazing bunch of people who are like-minded, and we just want to, you know, we just kind of have that family culture that underpins that good service to our clients in the community. We, we, we enjoy it. What keeps you going, Nick? Is that what keeps you going? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, well, but it, it's also the innovation of having a bit of fun. I mean, like I've spoken to you, I've told you about our little wee, our community power yes, network. We've, you know, we've built New Zealand's first peer-to-peer mm. private community network. Well, as of this morning, it's got 30 members. Mm. It's not for profit. We don't make any mm. money from it. But we are able to have a – people can come in and utilize our energy network and during the day, they're using 100% Hawke's Bay solar energy, mm. and then at night, they're buying from the grid at wholesale. Mm. So that our average member saves about 20% on their power bill. Some I've seen have saved 45%, some are less at about 6 But that's it's innovation. It mm. was part of our, it's part of our sustainability um, uh, process and protocol that we run as a business. And that sort of stuff, it's fun. It's dynamic. You know, we're, we're moving the needle. We're, you know, we're growing the pie and you know helping a whole lot of people along the way that's what i enjoy yeah. doing it's really really good fun and it's great discussions with clients i do enjoy it good on you nick look it's been my pleasure talking with you and your team over the last 12 months from a personal point of view i've learned so much from you and, uh, <laughs> thank you our listeners and uh, we wish you well for the christmas and the new year period and look forward to talking to the same time same place thank you time.